All right, so here's our goal between this week, next week, and the next week to go from, I'm going to think backwards for you guys, creation to Christmas. So if you want to get a visual, yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. I'm sitting down. Yeah. <laughs> so creation to Christmas. So that's your entire Old Testament. That's three times longer than it took God to create the world. So, <laughs> so I think, think we should be okay. So, if you'll join me in the beginning in Genesis, <clears throat> Genesis chapters 1 and 2 talk about how God created the world. He spoke the world into existence. Everything was great. Uh, that's the Caleb authorized version. Uh, God said everything was great. Uh, and then uh, in chapter 3 is where things start going downhill, which is really unfortunate um, that you know we've got this great story of what God's been doing in the world, and we're two pages in. And things start going downhill. But in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes in and tempts Adam and Eve by saying, Hey, aren't you guys allowed to eat from whatever tree you want? And they reply, Well, yeah, every tree except that one. And he's like, Oh, yeah, God doesn't want you to turn into him and get to decide what's right and wrong. So, of course, he would tell you not to eat of the tree. And so they're looking at it and they're like, Well... That looks kind of good. And he says, well, if you eat it, you'll become like gods. You'll get to be self-determinate as to what you believe is right and wrong and who's going to tell you otherwise. And so they look at it, and Eve takes it. She eats it. She gives it to Adam. He eats it. And surprisingly, what doesn't happen? They don't die. They don't die. God said if you eat of the tree, you're going to die. They eat the, tree, eat the fruit of the tree, and they don't die. Which probably gives them a little bit of a high at first. Because if you're weighing your options right, and you're like, well, let's, let's risk it. Let's gamble. Let's roll the dice here. I'm going to eat this fruit that, from the tree God told us not to. And he said, the day you eat of it, you're going to die. You bite into it. And I think that's what probably Adam was doing, sitting there and being like, okay, she ain't dead yet. So I guess I'll also take a bite. <laughs> and then they don't die. But then God shows up. And all of the good feelings of the fact that they didn't die go away because they feel the need to hide from him because presumably they can they figure he'll be able to know that they ate from the tree. Although, of course, that's not how they address it, right? You know, it's uh, not a very direct conversation they have with God when he does show up. So uh, let's just go and cover that conversation because it really does kind of set the tone for all of our existence for the rest of our time here on earth. So verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, Adam said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then God asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So this is a situation where God, although he is all-knowing, if you were to limit his ability of knowing all things, was able to understand that something had changed because Adam and Eve had always been naked. And God said it was okay. So when he's like, hey, Adam, where'd you go? You're always here when I show up. And Adam says, well, I hid because I was naked. God said, Okay, 
who told you you were naked? Like, who told you that, that the, the way you are wasn't the way that you were meant to be? And then he's like, so you guys must have ate from the tree, didn't you? And so then the man replies in verse 12, the woman you gave me with uh, gave it to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So it's like, yeah, I did eat the fruit from the tree, but I didn't I didn't pick it. You know, she just served it to me for lunch. But I did eat it. Yeah. So then God asked the woman, "What what did you do? Why did you do this?" And the woman said, "Well, the serpent he he's the one that deceived me, and I ate. And she's like, well, he, the snake tricked me. Sure, I ate it, but the snake tricked me. And the, the, sna- the snake asked a couple of, you know, off questions and told them, like, they would get to decide what was good and evil if they ate from it. But she's like, nah, the snake tricked me. So then we turn to the snake. The Lord God said to the snake, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Through grace, let's see, no. Um, anyway. By faith. Yeah, by faith. No, right. that wasn't it, but anyway, I can't think of it. The whole first Adam, second Adam thing? No. No, that's okay. But um, but if, if we didn't have sin, Christ wouldn't have had to come. Sure. Because we then would not have had the separation from God, and we could have had, you know, eternal wholeness with him. So that's the absolute meaning of why we have Christmas, because Christ then came, paid the price for our sin, um, the, most, the most cruel death that Satan has so far created um, and that was for our savior and through his shed that his shed blood then we are now made whole so I think in reference to these verses right here in Genesis 3 verse 15 where God says he's going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He is referring to the Messiah. Correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so the Messiah is going to be crushed to fix the problem. Yeah, and I guess I would just add to that that not only will he, not only will the snake be crushed by the Messiah, but the Messiah will be injured. You know, his strike your heel. So the Messiah will have to be injured in order to accomplish that. Um, but I think an interesting question that I have to your question and retort would be, what do these verses have to do with Christmas? Christmas isn't about the crucifixion, it's about the birth of a baby. So what does this have to do? And we'll pass that over to the future. You want more talking? Or <laughs> you want to go over it and I'll, I'll, I'll answer it later. It's when the angel made the announcement to Mary, even in that initial giving of the good news or whatever, it was that a Savior would come and he would save his people from their sins. So even the cross is already introduced 
before the baby is born. So the, the idea of his suffering is not directly alluded to, but the idea that there would be some atoning work done was in that giving of the news. Okay, so great question, because it's not like this verse isn't completely handled by Christmas, right? What I'm trying to get us to, which I, we're all there, we're actually jumping ahead in the story, which is okay, because I didn't yell at you guys and say no spoiler alerts, but um, <laughs> is that this is the initial conflict that the storyline is going to follow, right? There's a problem now. There, the world started out great. Now there's a problem. The problem is that the people God made decided to disobey him, and now there's consequences, okay? So the consequences go as such. We'll do it in the opposite order because that's the way that that order is intended to be understood, but for our Western minds, we have to flip it upside down. So Adam, he has to work hard now. His, his life before was really easy. I mean, he didn't need work pants, okay? So gardening wasn't a hard job before they decided to sin, right? When we walk around, they're like, oh, this one looks ready to eat. You take it off and you eat it. Like, that was pretty much what they did. The world was perfectly fine. And now, because of Adam's disobedience to God, his work becomes hard. For all of us, we're like, yeah, that's what the word work means. But before the fall, Adam's work wasn't hard. Hard work is now his task in life. And if you think we have it bad, I mean, he lived to be like 800, 900 years old, okay? And he's been working since like probably like week, you know, week two, you know, <laughs> like so. I mean, he, he's now having to work hard to produce food because no longer is the world going to work in his favor, okay? Whereas God had designed the world in the Garden of Eden to work for the people who were there. Now Adam and Eve are going to have to work hard against the ground that is now not working for them. <laughs> right, yeah. And then Eve, as we as we get further down into, into this, it's like, okay, now we're seeing more connections to Christmas. Eve now is has been told that because she didn't obey God, he would increase her pains in childbearing. Now, she didn't have any children, that at least not recorded in Scripture. She didn't have any children before the fall. But apparently, it wouldn't have hurt that bad to have children before the fall. Now, because she decided to disobey God and say, I know what I want to say is right and wrong, now she is now given more pain in bearing children. And then when you get to the snake, you understand, like, yes, it's inconvenient to have to sweat and pull weeds and thistles and stuff. Yes, it's not ideal to be in a lot of pain to bear children. But the connection here is back to what God said with the snake. Uh, in verse 15, it says, I will put hostility, or if you, the other uh, versions say enmity. Does anyone have any other words? So, a hatred between you, the snake, and the woman, between the seed of the snake and her seed. Now, for the longest time, uh, I was told that that's why uh, P. 
people don't like snakes, and I think there's an element of that. I mean, I, I hate snakes, okay? Um, not a huge fan. I've gotten over it quite a bit than I used to be. But here is saying that there is going to be a hatred between those who follow the voice of the snake and those who are the seed of the woman who should have been listening to God in the first place, okay? So there's going to be this hatred between the serpent and the offspring of the woman, and then the offspring of the woman will strike your head, crush your head, and you will strike and bruise his heel, okay? So now we have introduced into the story really early on. Here's the problem. We disobeyed God. Now our life is difficult in various different ways. And the solution is briefly alluded to even in the giving of the curse, which is there will be hatred between the serpent and the woman, between the serpent's seed and her seed. And he will win is more or less what it says. You know, it's going to be a battle, okay? It's like a 10-round boxing match, right? You know, someone wins at the end, but they all look pretty ugly afterwards, okay? <laughs> that's not a great situation, but someone definitely loses, right? And that's what it, God is telling them right now is, I'm going to put this hostility between you two, and then they're going to duke it out, but the snake is going to lose, okay? Uh, and then, before we move somewhere else, you just got to uh, go to verse 22. And God said, since man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life, eat, and live forever. Which we're all like, what? What do you mean, God? Like, we shouldn't be able to take a tree from uh, a fruit from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Like, I, I thought that, like, especially us as Christians, right? Like, we figure that's, like, the whole point. God wants us to live forever. That's why he's given us Jesus, to give us eternal life, right? So you have to do a little bit of reading in the lines here, is that what is likely the concern here is that if Adam and Eve ate from the tree of life after eating from the knowledge of good and evil tree, that that would then permanently place them in that state. Okay, I understand that that's not like super clear. Like if, if we were writing Genesis, which we're not, um, we would have put in there the reasoning behind it. But it says we don't, you know, God's like now that they're in this state of choosing good and evil, I don't want them to then take from the tree of life, eat, and then live forever this way, because this way isn't good. This is God's first. Like, this is bad. God said it, you know, a couple days back. Everything's great. And Adam and Eve chose to disobey. Then he gives the curse out and he says, but we can't let this be forever. This is not a solution. And so the result is God kicks Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden where the tree of life was and drove them out into the wilderness, like not the Garden of Eden that God had set up for everybody. And then he stationed cherubim with flaming swords on the east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the Tree of Life so that nobody could go back in and eat from the Tree of Life. Not because eating from the Tree of Life was bad. Interestingly enough, as far as I can tell, they could have ate from the Tree of Life anytime they wanted to until they ate from the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil. They could have chose to live forever, 
in the Garden of Eden the way that they were and were designed to. But instead, they decided to listen to a snake and say, oh, living in this perfect world isn't that great. Maybe there's something better. I could decide what's good and bad. But now, this way of eternal life is blocked by God himself, by putting cherubim so that no human can make its way, make their way back into the Garden of Eden and permanently seal their fate as fallen and unable to be forgiven. Now, we all look at that and it's like, wow, it's really bad. We got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and it is. But based on our now cursed and fallen nature, I think it's a good thing that we got kicked out of the Garden of Eden because I'm pretty sure someone several generations back would have already eaten from the Tree of Life and then that would have been it. That would have been the end of the story. So this is the conflict that God put in. So I want us to consider for a moment uh, this hatred between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Um, if you were here, it was what is that, five, five or six years ago, Christmas sermon I preached from Revelation. So that was fun. If you weren't here, which I know several of you weren't here, uh, we get a little real fast recap, but that one is on the internet, so you can go look that back up on our website. But if you'll turn with me to Revelation 12, so yes, we're going to do all the way to the back. It's not last chapter, but the last book. Revelation chapter 12. This talks about the, pretty much the same thing in a completely different way. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm just going to let you know, as with all things Revelation, its interpretation is a bit challenging. Look for the major theme that... Even all of the like nitty-gritty details, if you worked it all out, everybody would agree on. Those are the things that you're supposed to know for, with certainty, and everything else you're supposed to say, like, this is my best guess. Okay. Um, here it seems like there's some astrology being used in this, as well as um, seeing things from the perspective of the spiritual realm. So things aren't going to, as with all things in Revelation, things aren't going to look the way we would perceive them on a typical basis. Okay, so Revelation 12, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. Okay, so we're already way out of norm here, right? I mean, women will wear clothes that have a sun on it, but not literally clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Okay, that's not, that's not a normal thing. Uh, she was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth, which, you know, we're all like, yep, that's how that goes. But it only goes that way because... Eve disobeyed God, and that was the result of her disobedience. Okay? Then another sign appeared in the heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems. His tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she did give birth, he might devour her child. But she gave birth to a son, a male who is going to shepherd all nations with an iron scepter, and her child was caught up to the God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a, a place prepared by God to be fed there for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer, so the great dragon was thrown out. The ancient serpent, who is called the devil, and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world, he was thrown to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have now come because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown out, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. 
They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives in the face of death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows he has a short time. The rest of this chapter talks about how since the child was caught up to God, and the woman ran off into the desert to a place that God prepared, the dragon no longer can eat the child, so the dragon pursues the woman. God then sends a great flood uh, to sweep away the dragon, uh, and uh, the dragon is continuing, let's see, the 17, so the dragon was furious with the woman and left to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and have the testimony about Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. And then the rest of Revelation continues from there. So Revelation 12 talks about, uh, like, it's the same, the dragon, same serpent. Uh, if you want to talk about dragon instead, that's, you feel free to do that because the Bible does. It's the same as the snake who was in the Garden of Eden, right? And this demonstrates that the dragon, the serpent, has been at war with the woman. And the woman's identity in Revelation 12 is far and wide. It's all a lot encompassing for a very specific reason because it's not just one. It's not just Mary. It's not even just Israel. It's not Eve. It's literally talking about the history of man. Okay, And so this, this serpent, this dragon, Satan, has been at war with uh, this woman and her offspring since the beginning. And uh, what is pictured here is that the dragon wants to crush the offspring of the woman so that he can win this war, right? And it doesn't work. Then he tries to do this to win the war, and it doesn't work. Then he goes after this, and it doesn't work. And so all he does is to wage war against the rest of her offspring. It's just, I can't get to the heart of how I can defeat anything, so I'm just going to wreak as much havoc as I can. Okay? So, with that in mind, the beginning with the snake and the hatred God has put in between uh, the offspring of Eve and the offspring of the snake, it should be no surprise that conflict happens around Christmas. Because this is where the hope comes, right? Christmas is when Jesus is born into the world, and as Christians, we believe that he's solving the very nature of the problem that began in Genesis 3. But it shouldn't be any surprise to any of us that around Christmas, in our houses for Christmas, in our neighborhoods regarding Christmas decorations, that there is conflict all over the place. Why? Because the dragon hates anything that has to do with Jesus. And he particularly hates Christmas. Not any more so than probably Easter, just for fair coverage. But Satan is trying to win a war that he cannot win, and yet he can cause great pain and issue and conflict uh, just fine. So we're getting closer to the end of the class, but we can throw the mic on. I want to hear from you. So from creation to the birth of Jesus, Christmas, where are we seeing the hatred of the snake towards the offspring and towards the promise that God has made that 
someone from Eve will crush this serpent dragon. He will kill it so that the problems can be resolved so that we can go back to the place where the tree of life is so that we can eat from it and have everlasting life in a fixed state instead of being permanently broken. So I'm going to mute myself. I'll let somebody – Wendy's got a finger. <laughs> um, I was just going to say every time that um, the seed of – well, the lineage of Jesus, like was it Herod that tried to kill all the baby boys or under two or whatever, and I guess, um, yeah – when he had to declare no. <laughs> so that was my right. Whenever they tried to prevent Jesus from being born, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah. So Jesus was born. Uh, wise men come to visit him. Herod finds out about it and he freaks out. He, and he wants to go kill Jesus, but he can't find Jesus because the wise men don't go back to him. So then he just goes on a killing rampage of any kid under. Two or three, two. He's just that's it. We're just gonna kill kill all of them so that we can catch him because I can't get the information I need. So that seems like a dragon trying to consume Jesus when he was born. What else? What other issues have we seen where Satan's been trying to hinder the the promise that a descendant would come and win? Okay, we're gonna pass it this way. Um, I think just kind of like trying to think even through the stories in my head, it's, um, I mean, Ruth instantly comes to mind because even while it seems kind of benign, what happens with her and how she's like separated and decides to, I might, now I'm wondering if it was Ruth, (laughs) um, but you know, like she has to go like leave her family and then like go and get married to a whole nother guy. And like, you know what I mean? She's got to go through all these trials. No, no, you're talking about Ruth like, and Boaz. Yes, like yeah. Ruth and Boaz, yes. Um, and so, like, they seem like benign trials, you know, because they're actually very common in the Bible probably at that point. But it's like when you really look at it, and in all the books of the Bible, when the story is continuing, it really shows you, like, how the serpent comes, and he never is like, come on, you're going to go do this. He's always like that, that slight little idea that you could take control that slight little idea that it that it does that it could be your choice and he really manipulates that and it's the strong people in the bible that are of jesus's lineage that really like constantly are making the choices to say well this is what god wants or here's where my you know here's where god's leading me to be so even though it seems scary in a trial and attempt to you know there's this chaos that could possibly be involved. I'm going to take that path um, instead because that's what God wants. And I think that that shows the, like the greatness of Jesus's line, right? Even though when they come from people who are prostitutes and this and that, but I think that it also gives us insight as to how the serpent works and, and how he just constantly is like, well, you could just try it, you know? I mean, it's very much, like you said in the very beginning of Genesis, like, he didn't say, here, eat this. He gave you the idea that maybe you could, and and then we chose to do it. And so I think that, I mean, that's my answer. It's like in every story, you know, and it's there. Uh, I was thinking about Esther, like, because um, 
Haman, right? So Esther was in the lineage of Jesus, or is that, or is that the line of Jesus, right? Wasn't she in the line of Jesus? I don't know that for sure. Okay, well, the Jewish people, the Jewish people yes, the Jewish people, they were going to get destroyed by Haman and his maniacs. So basically what happened was, uh, Esther stood up to, like, basically, like, the whole promise of Jesus being born would be wiped out, because Satan wanted to be wiped out. He's like, man, it didn't stop him right there, but now I want to try to stop him again. And it's like, okay. So then she stood up and defended herself and defended her whole people, and I was like, okay. And then it was over, and it was just so cool, because it's like, that could have, like, been the end of the story, but it wasn't. So... And right along that same line, Charlie, um, if we look through history, we've seen Satan's attempt to wipe out the true Israelites, uh, the pure blood of Israel throughout history. Um, World War II, um, even before that, uh, the Assyrians, the uh, other nations that just attempted to disband, disperse, and make them intermarry to destroy the pure um, faith in the, the, the bloodline of Christ and how it's been foiled over and over and over again. So, and we even have that, and we even have that now in the current situation. I've got one. How about Pharaoh trying to kill all the male baby boys? But one slipped through. Moshe. Right? Does that count? Yeah. Okay. Just yeah, checking. we're we're hitting a vein now. I think we're 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 starting to see it, right? Is that the people Jesus came from have been under such threat over such a long period of time that a hatred for them to prevent the promises of God from coming true is readily visible. Right? Yeah, the Jewish people in slavery for 400 years, uh, you know, extra bonus points if you remember why they're in Egypt. Um, because the snake was, yeah, well, they're in, because Joseph, but why is Joseph in, in Egypt? Uh, wasn't it? No, that was back then. Okay. His brother sold him into slavery because they didn't like him. Well, where do you think that kind of hatred came from? I mean, like, I get it. We don't all like all our brothers all the time. But to be, go to the point where we're going to sell them into slavery and then sell the deception to our father that a wild animal ate him? Come on. Well, and they intended to kill him. Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, they originally said, like, let's kill him. And Ruben's like, nah, let's just throw him in a pit for a little bit. <laughs> thinking about King David here, <clears throat> God promised, gave him a covenant that would never pass away and that his kingdom would be established and one come up after him that would never be uh, undone. And and then it was a couple chapters later, you know, David has his famous episode with Bathsheba and Uriah and the murder of all that. And just, <laughs> it's like anything that could be done to undo any promise of God is just always clawing at the surface there from the dragon. Oh, oh, oh it was awkward because like three of us all decided at the same time. Charlie, you want to go again? Oh, uh, yeah. Or like, um, Paul and stuff. 
he got a lot of, like, persecution stuff, and he still didn't give up. Like, the devil just kept firing everything at him, everything he's got, and it's like, wow. He just kept, he's like, nope, nope, everything's good. It's like, funny, it's like a sunny day in the park when he's getting beaten up, and he's getting thrown in jail and slammed and shipwrecked, and he's like, ah, it's okay, I'm Paul, it's, yeah, I'm doing okay. It's, 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 it's a great day. It's like how he could just keep doing that when the devil just kept firing everything at him. It's like, that was another plan. The devil was just was like, well, I didn't really wipe out Jesus, but now I want to see if I wipe out Paul, who was chosen by Jesus to spread the gospel, and I don't want the gospel spread. And again, right along that line, um, what are other things that would be distractions or whatever? Uh, look at the way that the world has been chased over to idols, idols of self, idols of activities such as sports. Go hit me. <laughs> um, idols, idols of uh, belongings and everything. So it's it's an attack now on the spiritual to try to drive us away from the knowledge of truth and life and of Christ Himself. Uh, everything that He can, He will distract us and point us in the wrong direction of getting to know the true God. To, to both of your guys' statement, Charlie and Wade, you know, I think that that's great how you can, like, take it to Paul even, but, like, even in this day and age, like Wade was saying, like, it comes here and we are also facing, like, that, because it didn't just, for the serpent, it didn't end with Jesus, right? He wasn't like, oh, this is the end. He still hasn't figured it out. He still hasn't realized that the game's over, right? He is still trying because now he thinks that he can just, like, limit the amount of people that can go to heaven, right? So now he's like, okay, great, you made this great sacrifice, but but now my ploy is to twist the game, and now I'm going to keep people from going to heaven and being with God, right? So he's still trying to play this game. So I think that's great how you made that connection, Charlie. I think that's awesome. All right, so I'm going to jump back in here to get us thinking so that we can think even more this week so we come back next week is that we've identified a very one key tool that the serpent uses can we think of what that is okay he deceives and then tempts, tempts and then yeah what what's the result of that destruction, destruction death. death there we go death. now just putting this together almost in real time. God told Adam and Eve, the day you ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. God didn't kill them. But the course of humanity from here on out is that, yeah, I mean, like, God obviously, you know, the whole sovereignty and thing, we can talk about that some other time because we've talked that till we're booed in the face multiple times, but... The serpent is the one wanting to cause death. And what God wanted to do was prevent them from living in this broken state of disobedience and death for all of eternity. So he kicks them out of the garden. And the dragon is following after the seed of the man and woman in his effort to wage war against God because that didn't work so good. So like now all he can do is try to attack God's promises, right? And so he uses death to try and accomplish his purposes, which is why when you know they're in Egypt, that Pharaoh's like, 
well, kill all the guys because we can't be letting them populate too much. They'll overthrow me. This is why Herod's like, kill all the babies because I can't find the one baby I'm looking for. So just kill them all. This is why, you know, even though God was using the captivity and the exile to discipline the fact that his people weren't listening to him at all, is that they had no business coming back. And yet they still were. They were one of a handful, I'm not going to say the only, but one of a handful of nations that survived an Assyrian and then a Babylonian and then a Persian integration and still came out the other side as their own independent people. So Satan is going to use death to attack God's promises. The second thing that I want us to consider, because we're running out of time to do it today, so we're going to do it next week, which was my plan. Which is good because you guys actually talked. Otherwise, I don't really have a plan for next week. So thank you for talking. Um, the second thing I want you to consider is that the promise is that the woman will bear a child and he will crush the head of the snake. Okay. Aside from killing off any likely candidates, the other way of attack is to prevent women from having children. So I want you to consider... Not every single story is directly tied to Jesus, but it's kind of weird how women who should be able to have kids aren't having kids, and people who shouldn't be having kids end up having kids that are in the line of Jesus. I don't feel like that's a coincidence. I think it's one of the things that the snake has been trying to do is, you know, now Jesus has been born, so it might not be as key to his plan anymore. But when the promise is, a woman somewhere sometime in the future is going to have a child. The serpent's going to try and prevent that from happening. And one of the ways that he can try to prevent that from happening is to prevent women from having children. And this is this as early as uh, Abraham and Sarah, who Abraham's supposed to be the father of this great people of God, and starts with a 90-something-year-old guy and an 85-year-old woman who can't have kids, and God's like, you're going to have a, a great nation. And they're like, okay. And then like 15 years, I was just teaching this in uh, the older kids' class down the stairs, and it was like 15 years went by from the time God promised Abraham that they were going to have kids till he promised them like the third time that next year he would have a kid, okay? So you got this, these people, and they're like, they shouldn't be having kids anymore, and they obviously didn't have any kids previously, and yet... Somehow, they end up having a kid. So, let's consider, real quick, how this looks immediately after they get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They have two two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain is, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She was supposed to have a male child and is going to set the world straight. Cain, that's what his name means. And then they have another son, Abel. And then it'll tell us what Abel's name means. And now has meaning because this guy had that name. But um, uh, So Cain and Abel were presenting offerings to the Lord. Abel was accepted by God. God told Cain, uh, you're not doing your thing right, and I have a theory about that. Everybody has a theory about that. But Cain, Cain wasn't accepted by God, uh, and Cain was mad about it, that his younger brother was being accepted by God, and he wasn't. And so he, he tells his brother, hey, let's go out into the field. And while he was out there, he attacked his brother and killed him. This, story-wise, as a motif, 
it is the seed of a snake and the seed of the woman. Revelation 12 helps us with the seed of the woman being those who hold the commands of God. Abel. It's listening and obeying God. He's accepted by God. Cain is not accepted by God for various unknown reasons. And now Cain, the seed of the snake, kills Abel. Now, as a person, he might not have realized what that was going to do. He might not have known what was going on. But this then uh, turns out to be you know, punished directly by God again. He's cursed and alienated and put away because this is not how the people who have God's commands act, right? So Abel's now dead. So then they have another son whose name is Seth. Uh, they also have a ton of other kids. <laughs> so there is that. But the line of Seth, as the Bible continues to follow it, is going to take us from Adam through Seth through our storyline. And what's cool is this stuff was written down before Jesus was born. Because it would be pretty easy for us to backfill the story. Okay, we got a starting point. Jesus is the guy we've been looking for, so let's just go back and tell stories about his family. But the way that this was actually revealed to us is that it was written down well before Jesus was ever established. And it's cool because God all along has been showing us, like, well, it's going to be through this, and it's going to be through this. We don't get real detailed. When you look at how many possibilities there would have been, I mean, sure. But when you follow that into the New Testament, you then see, like, oh, look at that. That's exactly what God was planning. And all of the pain, all of the death and destruction around everywhere, that the dragon shrine to wreak havoc on God's promises, couldn't withstand God's promise. Because what God sets out to do is going to be done. Like when he says, hey, I want some light. And boom, light exists. Right? So when God says something, it's going to happen. We're going to wrap up one minute early. So, Charlie, you got something to say? Yeah. Uh, I was just, last comment, I just wanted to get this across. I was going to say it next week if you want. But, um, Job, that was a really good story about how God, um, He's still stuck with God. He's like, first servant's like, all your kids are dead. He's like, okay. And because, I mean, because the devil, it's basically like the same thing, because the devil and God were in a meeting, and it's like, and the devil's like, let me just see what happens if I tempt Job with everything. His wife tells him to curse God. Everything crashes down on him. And he's like, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gets super sick. He doesn't have anything in the world. And the devil's like, I'm still going to do this. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. And ultimately, God wins in the end, because it's like, cool because it's like he didn't give up on god he's like i'm not gonna take this because i already learned that my ancestors were like they just gave up on god they just were like yeah i want to be god it's like it didn't work so well for them so he was waiting for god's promises to be fulfilled so he didn't give up on god or cursed god and die so